Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Welcome back to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. Thanks for joining me today. It is a great pleasure of mine to be able to share this podcast with you, to be able to have an opportunity to talk for kind of an extended period of time about a particular subject. We can kind of do a a deep dive, and I know we do some deep dives on Sunday morning and uh, Wednesday in our teaching times here at the chapel, but we don't always cover every subject at all times. And so this podcast provides a forum for me to be able to share some things that I think are important some things that I've had people in my congregation ask me questions about, and I hope that you will benefit from them as well. Well, we are looking today at uh, the third installment in our series on worship. I'm not exactly sure how many installments there are. I have, I think, nine lessons or eight lessons made up on this particular topic, but I don't know if, you know, each lesson will be its own standalone episode or how all that's going to work out. So, What I want to share with you first is our worship quote of the week. We worship God because he is worthy and not because we as worshipers get something out of it. Now that came from Warren Wiersbe in his book entitled Real Worship, page 28. Think about that. It totally transforms the object and the purpose of worship. It casts worship in a vertical perspective and not a horizontal perspective. We worship God because he is worthy and not because we as worshipers get something out of it. You know, I'm always suspect when somebody says, you know, I'm not getting fed by my pastor. I'm not getting very much out of my church service. What do they mean by that? You know what, if I had the opportunity, and a lot of times these kind of sayings are said to me in passing or in an avenue or a venue where it's not really a appropriate to ask a bunch of follow-up questions. But what I would like to ask generally, first off, is this. What are you contributing? How come you didn't get anything out of it? Is it because you're not contributing something to it? I think Warren Wiersbe's quote here sums up a large part of the problem with worship in the church today. Christians look at worship in the church as if it is supposed to be an a la carte experience. You go to the cafeteria and you get exactly what you want, and if you don't, well, then it was bad worship. That's not how the church was designed. That's not what God intended. That's never been the way that people worship. Worship has always been about honoring God because of his character, his attributes, his might, his power, because he is greater than us and we are less than him. So we worship God because he is worthy, not because we are supposed to get something out of it. So if you just left your Sunday service, you're going to hear this on a Tuesday, if you just left your Sunday service thinking, man, I didn't get a lot out of that, the first question you should ask yourself is, what did I contribute to that? What did I contribute to that? Because when the body of Christ comes together, every person 
has a role to play, a part to play, in building up one another in the body of Christ. All right, so that's your worship quote of the week, something to really meditate on. And it kind of leads us into what we are going to be studying today in this episode. I've entitled this episode, Common Pitfalls in Our Worship. Now, I want to kind of define what I mean by this. That's always important in a day and age in which anything you say can be defined by anybody however they want to. So if I give you a definition, then, you know, you have no excuse. You have to abide by the parameters that I establish here. When I'm talking about common pitfalls, I'm not thinking so much of a pit that has a trap door over the top of it or a secret door or something like that where you step on this trap door and it gives away and you fall down into a pit and you know immediately you're in a pit. All right, that's, that's not quite what I'm thinking of. That would be like a, a trap door type of a scenario. More of what I'm thinking of when we talk about common pitfalls of worship are the type of pit where, you know, you're kind of following a trail or, or a trail has been designed to lead you down a path. And when you get to the end of that path, you realize, oh, I'm enclosed on three sides. There's no way to get out of here. And it becomes an ambush point. All right, there are many well-known examples of hunter-gatherers or hunters in general using such a method to bait animals and trap them into a pit where then they can ambush the animals and have an easy way to kill their prey. So that's the type of pit that I'm thinking of. You're not falling drastically off of um, the firm ground into this pit. You're being led down a path. I mean, it's a purposeful path. Don't get me wrong. It's a purposeful path. But the end result is that you find yourself enclosed on three sides and then the way of escape is blocked. All right, you're ambushed. That's the type of pitfall we're talking about here. And there are warnings in the scriptures about these particular pitfalls. And that's why we're going to talk about them today. Because Jesus warns us about these things. So we need to be aware of whether we are performing them or whether we are already in the pit, or maybe we're on the path. We have to seek to get out of the pit or off the path as soon as possible. So the first pitfall that many people endure, let me say that a different way, the first pitfall that many people encounter, all right, hopefully you don't endure this for very long, but maybe you will, the first pit that many people encounter is this, the problem of having a divided allegiance. A divided allegiance. And this comes about in a couple ways, all right? Number one, this comes about when you are trying to serve two masters. All right, you're trying to serve two masters. Jesus gives this warning to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Listen to what he says. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So there is a major problem here. The major problem that Jesus points out is 
Human beings often have a tendency to try to serve more than one master, and it's just not possible. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. When you are serving two masters, you feel a constant tension in your time, your energy, your resources, so that you don't know which master you should serve at any given time. And this shows up in our worship because our hearts are not really engaged in the way that they should be. You know, if the quote of the day, the worship quote of the day is, we worship God because he's worthy, not because we as worshipers get something out of it. If you're trying to serve two masters, what you're saying really is this. All right, I got a master that requires my attention on Sunday morning from 9 a.m. to noon. And then after that, I've got another master who requires my attention for a certain amount of time. And then at another point during the week, I have another master who requires my attention. You're trying to serve all these masters. You're trying to juggle them. And you're not really pleasing any of them because none of them have your full devotion. You may say, well, I have to work. I need money. I need to live. I need to provide for my family. As a pastor, uh, I've been around for a while, and I've been with some other godly pastors for uh, a number of years, over, over 12, specifically 12 years of listening to meetings, uh, discussions about the church, etc. And one of the number one reasons why people stop attending church on Sunday has to do with, well, my job said I have to work. My boss, my company said I have to work on Sunday. And people... They put, they put their work above worship. Now, there may be exceptions to the rule. You know, if you're a pharmacist or a nurse or a doctor, you may have to take a weekend rotation, one weekend a month. That's a little bit different, though, than somebody who chooses to work at a job that requires them to work every Sunday. That's also different than somebody who chooses to work on Sunday, but tells their boss, I will work any hours of Sunday except between the hours of, you know, 8.30 and 12.30 when I go to worship. How do you not serve two masters in that scenario? Here's what you do. You say, okay, Lord, you said that I should not serve two masters, but I need this income to provide for my family. Father, make a way for me, make a way for me to be able to have the income, but also worship you. And the fact of the matter is, you're going to be given a choice. Every individual is going to be given a choice on whether they're going to choose to worship or whether they're going to choose to work. If you choose to worship, if you say, I will not allow anything to come between me and the Lord, and I'm going to put him first, what you will begin to do is you will begin to structure your life around worship and ministry opportunities. So you will say, okay, boss, I am not working on Sunday. If you want to fire me, fine. God will provide another job for me. God will provide the right job for me. I don't need this job. God will deliver me up 
from the situation and give me the job that will result in me being able to worship him first and support my family second. Perhaps, perhaps if you take a stand on worship, God might even provide another job that pays more than you presently have so that you don't have to worship on Sunday. Or, I'm sorry, so you don't have to work on a Sunday. One reason why I think Christians oftentimes allow their employment to come ahead of their worship is that they, they're just afraid. They're afraid to stand for truth. They're afraid to trust God. They're afraid to exercise faith in God. It is no surprise to God that you have a need for all of these things. And that's why God tells you, through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, not to worry about it. Don't stress over it. Don't let it be a source of anxiety for you. Rather, what does he say? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You want to avoid the first pitfall of worship? Make God your sole focus in life. Organize your entire life, your professional life, your personal life, your hobbies, your family life. Organize everything around serving God and worshiping Him, and God will take care of everything else. Now, that doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy and it's going to be a cakewalk, What that means is, if you make God the first priority of your life, if you make serving God priority number one, and you say no to a lot of other things that seem to be good, God, I think, will bless you by bringing about other good things into your life. He will get the glory because he's doing the work, not you by your craftiness or by your skill or by your organization, but God will get the glory. Now, this is a general truth. I don't want to state this in such a way that it seems like it's always 100% going to be true because this concept has been used and abused by faith healers and promise keepers and all these kinds of people who have falsely said this stuff in the name of Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, God does promise to take care of us. He doesn't promise great wealth. He doesn't promise um, that if you plant this much, he'll return a hundredfold or whatever these kinds of people promise. But look, 
The text of scripture is so clear. If you seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, all these things will be added to you. He's talking about the basic necessities of life, food, shelter, clothing. No, he's not talking about having to have a a Mercedes when really a Ford would do. But if you put this principle into practice, God is promising, it's clear from the text of Scripture, that he will add to you the basic necessities of life, food, clothing, shelter. All of those things will be added to you if you make the commitment to serve God first. So this is the problem then, to restate the main point, of having a divided allegiance. And you're trying to serve two masters. You can't serve God and wealth. How about two gospels? Can you serve two gospels? Can you serve a divided, so you can have a divided allegiance in serving two masters, but how about two gospels? I think that's a real problem in the evangelical world today. That's a real problem in the Christian community because the Christian community at large is seeking to please the world and what the world thinks Christians should be like instead of Jesus and what he declared Christians should be like. And how do Christians do this? Christians do this because they try to affirm that Jesus would approve of things that he never actually approved of or affirmed. Christians who put banners on the outside of their church stating, all is welcome, and then underneath the banner, a LGBTQ pride flag. No, those people aren't welcome in the church of Jesus Christ unless they want to repent and confess that their actions are wicked. Otherwise, they're not welcome in the church. They can't possibly worship God. But on the other hand, neither can somebody who is a drunkard Neither can somebody who is a fornicator. Neither can somebody who's an adulterer. None of those people can properly worship God. And Christians have mistakenly adopted the idea of tolerance that is a progressive liberal tolerance. They have adopted that idea of tolerance and they have tried to blend that with the gospel. And so you have Christians trying to serve two gospels, not just two masters. That's one issue. Now we have Christians trying to serve two gospels. One gospel of love and acceptance and tolerance where anything that you do is fine and hunky-dory and it's okay. No problem. But there's another gospel that says you're a wicked sinner and you deserve to go to hell or to the lake of fire for all of eternity and to burn and be punished because your sins are against a holy God and a holy God cannot tolerate any sins. Does it matter if you are Hitler or just somebody who told a little white lie? No, because in the eyes of a holy God, all, all sins, all sinners are guilty. All sinners deserve punishment. There is no way that you can pay on your own, for the sins that you have committed, and that's why Jesus Christ came. He came and died, he who was righteous, for those who were his enemies, so that through his blood we could be righteous before the throne of God 
in the courtroom of God. And so Paul gives a warning to the Galatians. All right, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And he says that as a summary statement to this. If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And so Christians cultivate a major pitfall or they walk into a major pitfall of worship when they try to marry the gospel of Jesus Christ with the ideas of the unsaved world. Progressive liberalism being the chief uh, partner in marriage. But there are a lot of other partners in marriage that Christians have joined to that they should never have joined to. Secular psychology being one of them, and people get all up in arms about this, but think about it. Secular psychology is man's evaluation of man. Do you think that man is going to have the proper evaluation of his own wicked, sinful heart? Of course not. Of course not. So you can't allow secular psychology to be married to the gospel because they are fundamentally opposed to one another in the evaluation of what the problem is with man. You see, the gospel says the problem with man is he's a wicked sinner. His heart is deceitful above all things. Secular psychology says you are basically good and something happened to you in the past that has caused you to act out and respond in the ways that you are presently acting and responding. That's not right. That's not right to marry those two things together. And you can see how the church can be irreparably harmed if you cultivate a divided allegiance by trying to preach two gospels within the same organization or within the same body. Preaching two gospels or having two masters allows the worshiper to be the one who is in control of what he wants to give and what he expects. Because you can say, well, this week I feel like having God be the master, but this other week I feel like, you know, letting my boss at work be the master. I really need to earn this extra money here, or I really want to do this there. Likewise, you know, if you're trying to blend two gospel messages together in the same group of people, you don't know which one to preach when. I mean, are you trying to gain favor in the eyes of men or are you trying to gain favor in the eyes of God? It depends on the day. It depends on, you know, who you perceive your audience to be. You just can't do that. You can't do it because it's duplicitous. It's hypocritical to say, we believe this on this day and we believe something else on the other day. You can't have two gospel messages. You're really seeking to be a, a man-pleaser instead of a God-fearer at that point. You're seeking to do what's best for you, but what is not best for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where the rubber meets the road. You, know, you can't have a divided allegiance. You can't have it both ways. It's either all this way or all that way. 
or you become somebody who's like on the hamster wheel and you don't know which direction to turn, but either way you turn, whether you're going to the right or to the left, you're, you're spinning your wheel. You're not actually going anywhere. You're stuck in the middle, stuck in the limbo zone. Having a divided allegiance is one of the major pitfalls in the church today. Now, there are good churches, very solid, biblically-based, biblically-teaching churches that may be in this pitfall. There may be many well-meaning, genuine believers who are stuck in this pitfall. So I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is, how do I recognize this in myself? How do I recognize this? The answer to that begins when you start asking yourself serious, thought-provoking questions. You need to be willing to undergo a self-examination. What will make me more angry? What will upset me more? If I'm not able to worship with the saints on Sunday morning, or if I'm not able to receive a bonus in my paycheck at the end of the month for working the weekends, what will upset you more? What will upset you more? Having people in the community, whether it's social media, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, people in the community criticize you for your stance on LGBTQ issues by saying, you know, you're, you're just a bigot. You're, you're a hater. We can't tolerate your kind. We don't like that. Will that upset you? Or will it upset you to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he say, why did you compromise on my truth? Why did you compromise? It's so plain in the scriptures what I believe and I teach about these issues. It's so plain. It's so clear. Why did you compromise? All right, that's, those are the types of questions that you have to ask, that you must ask if you're going to figure out whether you have a divided allegiance or not. And if you have tension in your heart when you're trying to answer those questions, the answer is yes, you have a divided allegiance. And what you need to do now is take steps to figure out who am I going to truly align myself to? Who will it be? Will it be work? Will it be God? Will it be fearing man or will it be fearing God? Who will I align myself to? I think this is a issue that a lot of Christians in America, maybe they don't want to deal with. Maybe Christians in America are trying to keep their heads down, maybe even trying to keep your head in the sand a little bit so that you don't get called out for it. Because right now we've lived without persecution for multiple generations. And because we haven't had persecution, we haven't had to make public declarations about these very important issues. We haven't had to suffer. But it's coming. It's coming. And I don't want to become political on this podcast. It's not my goal at all. But if you have listened to any of the political discourse that has occurred for or between the 2020 presidential nominees, the candidates who are running for the 2020 presidential nomination on the Democratic side, you can be assured 
that the majority of them are not in favor of respecting religious rights. They're not in favor of respecting religious freedom of speech because if you're religious and you speak out against uh, somebody who's LGBTQ, well, you have you have violated their rights. So they don't want you to have a right so that you don't step on somebody else's right. That's duplicitous, of course. But the national media is never going to call them out for it. The majority of commentators aren't going to call them out for it. The commentators who are calling them out for it have already been smeared as bigoted haters and racist anyway. So, you know, they've been discredited. Obviously, nobody wants to be called those things. Nobody wants to be thought of that way. And so Christians have generally kept their mouth quiet about these things. Is that a divided allegiance? I don't know. Maybe. It depends on what do you say when you have the opportunity to speak. And just remember this, because um, I hope that you're really thinking this through and, and that you're saying to yourself, I got to be really thoughtful about how I approach these issues. And I want to be thoughtful in this way, not so that I can walk a fine line and please everybody, but I want to be thoughtful so that I can speak truth accurately and you know what? Maybe maybe shame will come upon me as a person, but I don't want to bring shame upon the name of Jesus Christ. So you want to make sure you speak thoughtfully and accurately and truthfully about these matters. Ultimately, the real problem with having a divided allegiance is that you just don't get anywhere with anyone. You don't get all the accolades that you want from men. And you definitely don't get all the accolades that you want from God. So just make up your mind. Who will you serve? What Joshua declared many thousands of years ago, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, probably 3,000 years ago to the nation of Israel. Choose this day whom you will serve. Will you serve the Lord? Or will you serve other gods. That's it. Bottom line. Choose this day whom you will serve. You must make that choice. Either choose to be all in for Jesus Christ or just be all out. But don't be halfway because you're only hurting yourself and you're bringing harm to the church. I really hope that you meditate on these truths and that They don't just, you know, become something that you put aside, but that you're really challenged, like really challenged to examine whether this pitfall is true or not. And I hope it's not true for you. I hope that you have a solid and firm allegiance to Jesus Christ. Well, thank you for listening. If you want to find some more teaching from our church. You can find it on the web at www.gbchapel.org. You can use that website to also contact me via email. Thanks so much for your time and attention. May God bless you as you seek to serve him 